Hey, I'm Fred. And I'm Ed. And this is Create a Generation. Create a Generation of Hype. All right, Frederico, we're back. Another Q&A roulette. What the hell does that mean? Well, we basically spin this big wheel and see where it ends up and ask the uh, corresponding question. Super. I love these. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. Here we go. Okay, Ant, I'll give you the first question. (laughs) (laughs) This is a a question Ah. I think that people ask very broadly, and it's, what content should I make? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, dear. All right, well, that's a really, I guess it's a good question, and it's kind of goes to the heart of every creator. Um, I mean, the best way to answer that is with what would you be making? What would you be doing? What would you be passionate about if you weren't creating videos? What is that thing? What's that thing that gets you excited that you want to share with the world, um, you would share with other people? Make videos about that. I mean, that sounds really wishy-washy maybe and a bit um, pie in the sky, but that's where it all starts. I mean, we say start with something that you are interested in, you are passionate about, um, because if you're not, it will fall over sooner rather than later. If you're creating content you're not passionate about. Yeah, like that's where OG, you know, content created started, right? It started with passionate people creating stuff that they're really interested about. Um, even now, like, you know, as we see that becoming a creator is more of a like a, a career opportunity, you still got to start from that place of passion. What do you think, Fred? Yeah, I reckon that's a, that's a, that's a really good answer. I mean, you want to start from a place where you feel really excited about the content you're going to make and if something really excites you, you want to start making content about that. If you're just going to make content that's popular, look, that's, that's always going to be problematic because you'll always end up, you know, doing something you ultimately don't like doing. Um, so, I mean, ultimately, if your passion aligns with something that's really popular, that's that's fantastic. But yeah, ultimately, start from a from a place of passion. And look, once you get into that and you start thinking, well, within a particular niche or this area, I'm really passionate about. What should I make? Then, then it becomes a little bit more strategic. And then you're trying to think of, well, what trends within that area? Um, what is the type of content that's always going to be popular within that area? Um, and you can start building a strategy around that in a, in a bit more detail. But I think your answer is great. For the starting point, start from a point of something you like or really love talking about. I'm happy with that. Let's spin this up. Ah, oh dear. Huh. That's a good one. I like this one. Does anyone look at playlists? And I'm guessing that's from an, like an audience perspective. Does Do viewers look at playlists? Great question. Yeah, it's a good question. I think... Yes, people do look at playlists um, in a couple of ways, um, and different channels will obviously take advantage of playlists in, in different ways. I think channels like music channels, um, playlists become you know a logical progression of how you might want to structure your your content and your music. Um, on how to channels, for example, um, people can take you through a very straightforward process of how you might want to do something. So, for example, I was looking at a channel the other day around um, productivity and efficiency. And there were like hundreds of videos on this channel, but the creator said, hey, if you enjoyed this video, it's part of a series. I put them all on a playlist for you. So if you want to watch from start to end, I've created the most logical progression for you. And I find that really great. I can literally sit there, let the playlist play, and watch all those videos one by one. So that's really great. Obviously, it can be very useful for structuring your channel, um, categorizing certain types of content, because effectively at the moment, it is one of the primary ways you can categorize content on YouTube is through playlists. So yes, it is a very useful feature. Uh, I think people do look at them um, and they can be differently used for different channels. All right. Let's spin her up, Frederico. 
That's a good one. Why are web series sometimes problematic on YouTube? Oh, how long have we got? Oh. Do we have? <laughs> Probably not long <laughs> enough to answer this problem. Not long enough to explain that, right? Like, uh, the, the web series, like the legacy of the web series is not born in YouTube viewing habits, I guess is the catch-all answer for that. Um, like the, the way we, we audiences watch YouTube generally isn't around episodic video content. We're not, that's not what we're there for. That's not how we're watching it. Um, I think that's, that's my, and Fred, more than happy for you to expand on this. Um, but then also before you, before you go on that, the, the other part of that is, and this might sound a bit, bit harsh, um, is a lot of web series just aren't that good. And it's not because the creators aren't good or the, the content is like, it's just the the amount of effort to create typically scripted content is is a lot greater, um, and the budgets aren't there to and the time isn't there to really def- refine and develop these scripted series, um, and so a lot of the time they're also not as good as they should be, and then obviously don't perform as well. That's, I mean, that could be a controversial statement, but. No, I look. I think you're right, and actually, just unpacking both those points a little bit more, you're absolutely spot on. Firstly, uh, web series—they actually even, you know, they predate YouTube. They were—they were basically used when people had nowhere else to put their content, so they basically turned to the internet to put their content there. Then YouTube came along, and it was, uh, you know, it was early days, all about views and just getting content up there. So people put their web series up, and some did very well. Um, but YouTube has moved on. Viewing habits have moved on, and people who watch platforms like YouTube want to see regular consistent content. So it's not so much just about episodic content, but it's about if you create limited episodic content, like, you know, four parts or five parts, and that's the whole entirety of it, it's pretty hard to build an audience around that because that's all they get. There's nothing else coming up because it takes a lot of effort to put a web series together, generally speaking. So if you say, hey, here's a web series, I want to get lots of subscribers and views. Yeah, you might get the views, but, you know, subscribers want to stay around for consistent content. If they only see a little bit of content there, you know, even if they subscribe to the channel, they're not going to release something maybe for months or years after that web series. So that's why web series can become problematic because it doesn't basically tie in with the habits of, of, a, of a modern YouTube and modern viewers. So that's where it can be tricky. And the other point you made was about the uh, lack of quality when it comes to web series. And I've, we've talked about this a fair bit. Often, you know, web series are, are done by, you know, sometimes filmmakers who really want to put their content out there and they put it on YouTube, not really understanding the platform, but also they haven't necessarily um, had a lot of practice making the short form content. So the web series is sometimes the first thing they've made um, and they're not sure about pacing or the delivery or the way it audience will view it. So you're right, they don't end up being as sticky or as interesting for the audience um, or as good as they could be because a lot of YouTubers, I mean, you talk to pretty much anyone, they'll say that over time they got better and better and they developed their voice and an understanding of, you know, tempo and pace. And that came from making multiple episodes. But with a person who's making a web series, they only have sometimes only four or five episodes to try and get it right. And that's just not enough to develop that that uh, understanding of what the audience will want. So it ends up not being as good as it could be. I mean, if you were a pro and you've made it, you know, time and time again and you really understand what the audience wants, yeah, you're going to be in a much better place. But generally speaking, most of the web series we see – end up being um, not one geared for people on the platform and they, they could be a, a fair bit better if those credits had more practice making um, limited edition short form content. Yeah, and I, I guess I want to point out, I still think they're valid. 
um, I think they could. Like, I, I think the people should be creating them. I think just understanding what your expectation will be and what is success um, and understanding that your first crack at it and releasing something online, whether it's a web series or, uh, you know, a inverted commas, uh, regular type style of YouTube content. It might not go that well, but um, you've got to grow that creative muscle for the for the content and for the platform. That. So I think keep making them, um, just understand what might happen or not. Exactly right. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. It, um, but like... How do I build an audience? It's such a big question, and that's a meaty one to get thrown on the wheel. I do want to address that because it is a question you get asked a lot, but it is a very, very big question because ultimately YouTube and the algorithms that YouTube follow audiences and they try and deliver the best content they can to a particular audience. So building an audience is of primary importance. And yes, it's a very, very big topic. Um, so let me just say this. How do I build an audience? going back to what you said initially and, you know, far, try and build content that you love. And if you share that passion, typically that will be uh, reflected in your content and other people who love that type of content will hopefully see that and want to watch more of that. And that's probably a good starting point. Um, and from there, you really want to, to build on that and give people as much uh, quality content as they can, but mainly you're looking to create value. Okay, it's a big thing. We talk about this a lot. We talk about it a lot in our advanced courses because sometimes it takes a creator a little while to understand this idea of value. Um, now what that basically is, is that people will value different things and um, they like different things. But because there's so much content out there, you want to create something for someone that they really enjoy and they're going to take a lot away from because they have a lot of options. So the more you can be value-focused, the more you can think, hey, how do we make – the best content possible for this type of audience? How do we give them the most value possible? I think that is the next step. That's the next big thing after saying, hey, I'm passionate about this. Now, how can I offer the audience tremendous value? That is probably the key way in, in driving and building that audience up. And yes, there are a lot of layers on top of that. But you know, since we don't have all the time in the world, I will just say that is a key area. So yes, start off with things you're passionate about, find an audience who shares that passion, and then start thinking how do I bring value, you know, entertainment value, um, relational value, educational value, but they'd like it so much that they just don't want to go anywhere else to get that. Um, we had a, an episode we did a, a few weeks ago with Ibrahim uh, from Z American English who has like a, you know, a value-based mindset and he became one of the you – know, he's the biggest language channel on YouTube and became one of the fastest-growing channels on YouTube – just because he had that idea of how can I create as much value as I can for the particular audience. And with that, the audience absolutely expanded. I think he got to a million subscribers in a few months. Um, something to keep in mind. And if you get a chance, check out that episode. And just to bounce off what you've just been saying, Fred, like I, I think I've shared this on, on, on a previous episode, but I, I, you know, we talked to a lot of creators, big and small, and, and one conversation I had with a, a, a very small emerging creator, they were asking me, like, how do I grow my audience? And um, they they weren't providing content that was valued by anyone. It, it, and I, I sort of went back to that and explained why that we sort of need to get to foundations, right? Like to build something that is worthy of an audience's time and attention. Um, they left frustrated from that conversation because they just wanted to increase their audience mm. and they, they knew they, they of course they needed to make good content. So yeah, it is, it is, at the end of the day, still, you know, 
foundationally creating great content with if, if we're talking whatever platform we're creating and and that is such a um a catch-all what is great content and then and like what you just said fred it provides specific value to that specific audience and if you can do that rock and roll like it might not be for me that's cool if it's for your specific audience and they're, they're going to value it that's that's how you you know build the rock and roll foundation uh, building blocks for building an audience mm. um, and then yeah let's spend we can spend hours talking about audience development beyond that but yeah i think that's a good point This is an interesting one. Um, what are some... <laughs> I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, they're all interesting questions, um, but this is, it's quite varied today. But it, this one is based around money and like what are brands looking for when partnering with YouTubers? Return on investment. <laughs> I mean, what are they looking for? I mean, they uh, first and foremost, they want to reach you know the specific audience that aligns with their brand, right? So that's pretty fundamental right like that's what they're paying for is access to your audience like on top of that brands also want creators to do what creators do well right create great content that puts their brand in a, in a great light and um that adds the creator's value but they also want simple things like they want a creator that's easy to deal with that is professional right like um the number of times that brands will tell you horror stories of ex big creator or even small creator that has been really hard to work with they won't come back but it also um, makes it hard for them to want to work with another uh, creator down the track as well and if they can work with a creator and, and do that once and do it really well and and it, it all lines up commercially they're going to come back and want to do it again and again and again and that's great for you it's great for them um, it's great for your audience too they they get good consistent uh, entertaining brand aligned content as well that it aligns for them and it aligns for you and it aligns for the brand who's hopefully paying you big biggies. Yeah, that alignment element is is really key. Um, obviously, when brands want to work with creators, they do so because they want to access those audiences, like you mentioned. Um, and that alignment is super important. Is the audience you have the audience they want? And if that's the case, yeah, it's a good foundational element. Now, when it comes to what they're looking for specifically from you, I think a level of professionalism can go a long way. And I'm not talking about being, you know, the world's best business person. I'm just talking about some simple things like, you know, communicating, click, communicate, <laughs> stop that up. Communicating. Communicating clearly. clearly. Yeah. <laughs> is the first, uh, first one. Um, do things you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do them on time. Right. And basically being able to make that experience as easy as possible for them, because the easier you make it for them, the more likely they are to find, well, this was a fairly, you know, easy deal. Um, I really like working with this creator and then they're more likely to work with you again. But, you know, if you go into your own world, if you, you know, don't respond to communications, if you make it very hard for them, well, yes, you might get paid for that one, but you're more likely not to get another gig from them again afterwards. And brand deals are, are worth a lot of money, right? Like, uh, so it's worth, worth paying attention and doing them right. Um, and it's easier to to work with the brand again and find a new brand to work with. And that's the same for uh, the brand. And they're like, it's easier to work with the same creator again than find a new one and start a new relationship. So yeah, that's, that's something worth considering. And look, uh, you know, we work with a lot of creators on different brand deals and, you know, there are some who we've been working with for years um, with the same brands because the brands really like dealing with the creator. They become very familiar with them. The creator has become very familiar with the brand um, they develop a mutual respect, but it's mainly based around that aspect of, yes, there's a lump with the audience, but 
you know, the creator is now professional. They know how to communicate with the brand. They do things on time when they say they're going to do them. And that just makes the whole process so much easier. So every time we do a new contract, it pretty much gets renewed for the next one because the brand just loves, you know, working with that professional process. So do keep that in mind because it really does make a big difference. And make sure you wear a suit and tie to every <laughs> meeting. <laughs> no, not really required. And that was actually the last question we have for today. Oh, let's do a bonus one. Should we do a bonus one? One, one for you. Let's spin it up. All right, let's do a bonus. All right, last one. Should I shoot in 4K? Okay, I'll break this down in a couple of ways. So um, when you shoot in 4K, there are uh, a couple of advantages and a couple of disadvantages. Um, in terms of the advantages, the thing about shooting in 4K is it's a big, clear picture. Um, and then when you take that into something like post-production, there's a lot more you can do with it, right? Um, because it's such a basically a, a big frame and so much to work with. You can do you know artificial zooms and stuff like that. Uh, and bring it down to standard um, HD, which is 1080, and still have a really nice image to work with. Um, that said, one of the negative sides of it is that um, it is a big file, and you're basically moving big files around. If you're shooting a lot of video, it can be extremely hard to edit um, and can be quite hard on a lot of computers. But, you know, now YouTube allows videos to be shown in 4K too, so that is really awesome because when you watch it on something like a 4K screen, um, it looks amazing, and a lot of people are watching, you know, YouTube content on 4K TV. So that is something to, to consider. Um, and look, eventually it will become, you know, fairly normal to shoot in 4K, and it'll be easier for the computers to handle uh, 4K editing. Uh, but generally speaking, you don't have to. I mean, I think most of the time we just record in like 1080 pretty standardly, and we display it in that way, and it's nice and straightforward, and nice and easy to edit and, and upload. But yeah, like I said, 4K gives you more leverage, um, and it also allows the opportunity to put out a better quality picture that people can view on their um, high-quality devices. One thing I see, Fred, I wonder if we can clear this up, is a lot of particularly like camera-focused channels and creators or, or cinematographer-type channels, they they ask the question, and there's obviously a rumor going around, like if by uh, uploading in 4K, is it more likely to get your video served by YouTube, by, by the system? Uh, I would say no to that. I don't think so. I don't know if you can filter videos by 4K and when you're looking for them. Maybe, perhaps, that would, I guess, bring up 4K videos. But um, I don't think algorithmically it's going to make a difference whether it's in 4K or not. Um, I still see a bunch of enormously popular videos that aren't even in, you know, anywhere near 4K, some even 720. So it doesn't really matter that much. I wouldn't say it's it's up there. But you know what? If you are creating, like, really super high quality production value content and you want to get the best from that and you want people to be super impressed with that yeah 4k will, like i said will give you a better picture people can watch it on a device that has 4k um rendering and yeah that's going to be great and they're going to enjoy the experience if that is what they are after specifically then yes that might do better but generally speaking i don't think youtube favors 4k content over anything else no i think it's just the gearheads hoping that having a fancy camera might be an advantage <laughs> uh, as i shoot some people down I think it's time to wrap this one up, Frederico. Um, Indeed. Indeed. Rock and roll. Well, thanks, Chan. Catch you all next time. See you next time. Ciao. Create a generation. Look on the mic.